Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Wilshire tonight. We're glad that you came out. Glad to, glad to have you guys here. I told the church at Wilshire, uh, I encouraged our members that, you know, when we have one of these area-wide teen gatherings, just prepare to give up your pew. You know, because you go to a new church, you visit a church, you take someone's pew, right? Thank you for making it easy on them, because you guys have all sat in front and Wilshire sets in the back. <laughs> Nobody had to give up their pew tonight. That's very gracious of you guys. <laughs> we are glad that you're here. Thank you. Uh, it's always great to see so many teens out on a Sunday night and being part of this area-wide teen gathering. This is the last one of the school year, but as they announced at the beginning of service, we kind of start a whole new series of these uh, through the summer. So be sure to stay up on things. You'll be bouncing around the area at different congregations. It'll be great to have you. But thank you to the youth ministers who put in the effort to plan these things. And thank you to the churches who host these things. And thank you for you to you for being part of this. It's a, it's a great ministry. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. I hope you have a Bible with you because I want to show you some really neat stuff in Ephesians 2. But as you look at that, I, I just I want to ask you a question about um, if you could witness any miracle in Scripture, if you could be there to watch it unfold and to be there as a spectator of this miracle which one would you pick? I mean, there's some great miracles in Scripture, aren't there? When you go back to the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18, one of the great ones of Elijah, right? And it's Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal, and we have something of a God contest, right? And Elijah says, why don't you guys pray to your God, and then I'll pray to my God, and whichever God lights the altar, that's the God we'll serve. Wouldn't you love to be there after... After all of the praying and all of the, the show that they put on, Elijah's off there in the corner and said, maybe he can't hear you. Pray a little louder. Maybe he's on vacation or something. I mean, Elijah just kind of sits there and mocks them, right? And then, and then Elijah stands back. He says, why don't you guys put a little water on the altar just to, to make it fair, maybe. And then Elijah prays and then, wham, the fire of the Lord lights the altar. Wouldn't you love to have been there for that? Or maybe in the New Testament, lots of great miracles there. I always think of the one of Jesus asleep in the boat. You know, Matthew, Mark, they both tell this story. Jesus is asleep in the boat. The disciples get all panicked when a storm comes by. And the disciples come and wake Jesus up. You remember what Jesus does? Jesus wakes up. And the disciples say, don't you even care that we're about to die? And Jesus just woke up, looks out, and he rebukes the wind in his waves, wind in the waves, and it stops. And then in my mind, Jesus goes right back to sleep. But wouldn't you love to be there just to watch the reactions of the apostles? What was that? In fact, Mark even tells us that the disciples ask, what kind of person does this? I mean, it's an impressive miracle. But of all the miracles, I think if I had my choice of which miracle to be present with, it would be the raising of Lazarus. That had to be one cool moment. Jesus and the disciples show up. Lazarus has been dead for a while. Jesus says, show me the tomb where they've laid him. And they remind Jesus, when Jesus suggests moving the stone away, they suggest to Jesus, one of the greatest texts in your Bible, it's best translated by the King James Version, Jesus, surely by this time he stinketh. That's a great text. You don't want to move the stone. I mean, he's dead. He's been dead for four days. We know he's dead. He stinks already. If you open that tomb, flies will come out. He's not coming out of there. He's dead. 
In John 11, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. What I would give to have been there to watch the look on the people's face. Because it's not every day that dead people come to life. It just doesn't happen every day. Lazarus was an extraordinary moment. And it does happen. Matthew or Mark chapter 5. Jesus went in. There was a young girl. She was 12 years old. She was sick. She died. And Jesus went in with his three close disciples and, and the parents. But nobody else saw it. I mean, but it's not every day that someone dead comes back to life. I've been asked to talk to you this evening about this text found in Ephesians chapter 2 and the theme, Made Alive in Christ. It's right here, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5. Even when we were dead through our trespasses, we were, He made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. Now, what's going on in the text is a fascinating text. And it kind of illustrates something that Jesus has been doing in his ministry and something Paul wants them to know in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says you need to understand something, that God is able to raise the dead. In fact, look at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul prays this prayer. He says, look, I want you, my prayer for you is that you understand certain things. I want your eyes to be enlightened. I want you to understand the spirit of knowledge. But one of the things Paul wants them to understand is that the power that worked in Jesus Christ to raise him from the dead is at work in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That the same God who was able to go into the tomb and raise dead Jesus and not just raise him up, but raised him to sit far above all principalities and powers. That means nobody is higher than Jesus Christ. And God raised him up and he set him at the right hand of God. And Paul says, you know what? That same God that did that, the same power that was at work in Jesus, is at work in all the believers of Jesus Christ. And to make his point, he says, you need to understand that you used to be dead yourself. Paul says, you look around and there are people living lives that look like They're living life. You know some of these people? I mean, they seem to have everything that makes life have meaning in it. They've got the fame. They've got the fortune. They've got the women. They've got the men. They've got everything you'd possibly want. And Paul says, when I look around, I see dead people. They're dead. And you used to be dead. Paul says, all of these things that people think gives them life, gives them nothing but death. One of the interesting things about our culture and our time is Facebook. Facebook has completely changed the way we see ourselves and each other. You ever notice Facebook? Everybody has the perfect life on Facebook, it seems. Nobody ever takes a bad photo and puts it on Facebook. Rarely. Or if if someone takes a bad photo of you and posts it on Facebook... You go untag yourself from that. Because I look better than that picture represents. Right? People's children are all little saintly angels walking around on God's creation on Facebook. They go on the perfect vacations. Their husband or wife, their boyfriend or girlfriend is the sweetest thing God ever dropped out of heaven. 
And we sit through Facebook and we scroll through this stuff and we think, why isn't my life all peachy like that? What Paul is saying in Ephesians long before Facebook is that the things you think give people life are death. All the money, all the fame, all the reputation, all the stuff that people think gives life, Paul says that's not where life is at. He says in the text that they follow after their natural order, their fleshly desires. And Paul says it looks like life, but it's actually trespasses and sin. But Paul says, I want you to know something. If you are in Jesus Christ, that's where you find life. That in Jesus Christ, God has made you alive with him. It's an interesting text. And it's, in essence, kind of like a before and after picture. You ever notice that? Someone's trying to sell you a product on TV and they give you a before and after picture. Before you use our product, your hair was ugly. You were unshapely. You, uh, nobody liked you. But then after, and have you ever noticed the pictures that they use? Why is it that no one ever smiles in a before picture? And the lighting is always awful in the before picture. And it's like, look, it wasn't your product. You had a better photographer. (laughs) And Paul is saying, look, this is the before and after. Before, before Christ, you were without hope. You were hope. You were dead. You were lost in trespasses and sin. But after Christ, in Christ, it's the after picture. Now you've been made alive. And so Paul is trying to convince them. That what they have in Jesus is true life. Now, I could stop there and have made the point of Ephesians chapter 2. Part of the point. And some of you are hoping I'll stop here, right? I'm just starting. There's a major point about why Paul wants them to know this. Why it's so important for them to know that true life is found in Christ. But before I make that point, I want to take a slight detour. That for a moment may seem like it has nothing to do with Ephesians. How many of you have been going to school long enough and you've had to go to the counselors, some sort of program or something, where they talk about school bullying? Have you guys... Have you had to be through some of these things? You take, watch videos online or they talk about it in school. School bullying. It's kind of an epidemic. I mean, part of it is because technology has made people more clever in how we do bullying, right? Back when I was a kid, you had to actually be in the presence of the bully. Now they can bully you from their own living room. I mean, all these things have changed. Government says 22% of students aged 12 to 18 have reported some sort of bullying. It's verbal. Someone calls you names or they make fun of you. It's physical. They shove you around. They hit you or they do something physically to hurt you. There's cyberbullying now. Sitting on your computer through text message, Facebook. And there's social bullying. They just go around and spread rumors about you and they say things about you. 92% of students have said they feel sorry for other kids being bullied but did nothing to help. They're afraid of retaliation or they feel hopeless to help. You see, bullying in our culture and in your school 
Bullying is someone's attempt to convince you that you're insignificant. It's their way of trying to make you feel less than you actually are. And it's a process where they're trying to make themselves feel better about who they are. It's kind of a weird, demented sort of approach. Many people have noticed that bullying is often done by someone who's very broken themselves. Someone whose home life is shattered. Someone whose self-esteem is in the bottom of the barrel. And they've also talked about the effects of bullying. Victims who often withdraw from others. or Sometimes they start to hurt themselves. Or they allow the bully to win when they begin believing the things that are said about them. Now, it's just a little excursion. But go back to Ephesians for a moment. Believe it or not, one of the reasons Paul wants the church there to know that they are alive in Christ is because there is a sense in which they are experiencing a sort of spiritual bullying in their own setting. You see, this is the first century church where they live in Ephesus, we think. And in Ephesus is the temple of Diana or the temple of Artemis, this goddess. And everything in Ephesus revolves around life with the temple. She is the reason the city of Ephesus exists. She is the one who gives us life and and money and everything we need. And if you're not a worshiper at that temple, you're a nobody. We know from first century writings that part of the thing that if you weren't a, a, a worshiper of idols, and especially this one in Ephesus, that you weren't allowed into certain jobs, that you weren't allowed into certain social sections, that you, you weren't allowed to go certain places, you were pushed out of culture. And one of the things that the church to whom Paul writes is dealing with is this kind of social bullying. You either worship with us or we have nothing to do with you. And so Paul writes... And he says, I want you to know, you are alive in Christ. He also writes to a church that's made up of different kinds of people, Jew and Gentile. Now, we talk about this some other setting and how, how much difficulty that existed. But, I mean, you can read in your New Testament and realize that this Jew-Gentile battle that went on in the early church got kind of ugly at times. I mean, the first time in Acts chapter 10 that Peter is sent to preach to Cornelius, Cornelius has invited Peter to his house. Peter walks into his house, and one of the first things Peter says is, you realize, Jews aren't supposed to even come into the house of a Gentile. Well, Peter, thank you for coming. I mean, how does that make you feel? And when Peter goes back to tell the church, look, we had this gospel meeting at Cornelius' house, and we baptized everybody there, the church says, Did you eat with them? Surely you didn't eat with them. That somehow, even in the church, that someone who was Jewish looked at someone who was Gentile and said, you're not quite as much Christian. It's Peter, later in the New Testament, you recall, Peter and Barnabas are sitting there eating with Gentiles once. And when Jewish people walk in, it's like a junior high cafeteria. When the cool people walk in, we walk away from the other people we don't be seen with. You see, bullying is nothing new. It's nothing new to the the 21st century. There was a spiritual bullying happening in Ephesus. And so when Paul writes this letter, he's wanting them to know you are alive in Christ. 
It doesn't come from worshiping what culture tells you to do. It doesn't come from looking like and being like and coming from the same background. If you are in Christ, you are alive in Christ. You see, sometimes we forget that. That we're looking for life. We're looking for something to give us power and energy and importance. And Paul is saying it's right there in front of you. On my way to church tonight, I had to stop and get gas. And I walked into the convenience store and I saw the craziest thing. I I live out in South Guthrie, like two miles the other side of nowhere. And I walked in to to pay for gas because my card wouldn't work. And there was a sign on the window. African tortoise missing. $500 reward if found. You've lost an African tortoise. How far could he have gone? <laughs> this is the craziest thing. I've seen some weird things out there, but you're looking for an African. Just look at your feet. How far could he have gone? Sometimes we spend so much of our time looking for something when it's right there where we are. I don't know if they'll find the tortoise right by their feet. But I know it's a good place to start looking. And when Paul writes Ephesians, he says... You're looking for meaning and significance and greatness. You're looking for power. And I want you to know, if you are in Christ, you already have it. Read Ephesians chapter 1 sometime. Chapter 1, verse 3 through verse 14 is one long sentence in the Greek language. It's like Paul flunked out of grammar school if he was studying English. But Paul gets so excited in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing that is found in the heavenly uh, heavenly places. And then Paul begins to rattle off this list. In Christ you've been redeemed. In Christ you've been forgiven. In Christ you've been made uh, blameless. In Christ you've received an inheritance. And it's in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's not found down there at the temple somewhere else. It's not found in your Jewish background. It's not found in your wealth or power or ethnicity. It's found where? In Christ. Paul says you used to be dead, but God made you alive. In Christ. In Christ. Paul wants them desperately to understand That if you are in Jesus Christ, you are fully and completely alive through Him. And I'm telling you, that needs to be heard today. That power and significance are not found in what culture is trying to preach to you. If you have enough money, if you look a certain way, if you drive a certain car, go to a certain school... Play a certain sport. Paul says life is found in Christ. Everything else looks like life. But you're lost in your trespasses and sins. Now there's something else that's going on in the church at Ephesus that Paul wants them to know. That if you are in Christ, you are completely part of the family of God. I realize this probably comes as little surprise to some of you. I wasn't bullied much in school. You may think it's because of my intimidating height or my physique. But I wasn't bullied much in school. 
It turns out, though, people weren't intimidated by me. I was the youngest of nine grandchildren who all lived on the same street, went to the same school, and rode the same bus. So you know what happened if you messed with me? I went and got my cousins. Nobody messed with me. And Paul is saying, you need to know, if you're in Christ, you were part of a family of believers. God doesn't turn you loose on the world and say, good luck. The rest of Ephesians is about talking about the unity we have in Christ, that everybody in Jesus, no matter where you're from, no matter what you look like, no matter what you have, God has taken us and together made us a body of believers because we are alive in Christ. And finally, the second part of that text, it makes sense, it's by grace. It's by grace you're saved. It's by grace you're part of God's kingdom because you don't have it in you to do anything because you're dead. You're made alive in Christ. And it's by God's grace that He raised you up. He didn't just sit you over here to the side and say congratulations. He sits you at the right hand of God, the place of privilege, just like He did Jesus. Don't ever let anyone tell you you're too young to be a value in the kingdom of God. That your past is too wrecked. That the color of your skin somehow disqualifies you. Because Paul says, if you are alive in Christ, you are alive in Christ. It's right there in front of you. I don't know how many of you channel surf nowadays, especially if you have cable or Satellite, you probably haven't come across. Any of you ever seen the show, The Antique Road Show? This is kind of, I realize your parents or grandparents may watch this, but sometimes if you just get bored and you stop by there, there's some weird things. Did you know that the highest valued antique ever appraised on The Antique Road Show came from Oklahoma? It was a guy in Oklahoma, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He had taken, he had taken these hideous-looking rhino cups. It was made out of the the rhino. What do you call it? I didn't write it down. What do you call it? The uh, tusk. There you go. The horn. It's those big words that confuse me. The horn. <laughs> they taken the horn of this rhino and they made it into. They called it a, a libation. They drink out of this thing. And the guy bought these. He was at an antique show up in Maine. Some antique store. He just walked in. He bought it. He said, I bought it for about $500. I thought, you wasted $499. It was hideous. And he had two or three more. He said, and I had to put two of the, uh, this on two credit cards and this and that. And he showed up and he brought it to the antique road show. And the guy doing the appraisal, he says, you know, these are found in the ancient Eastern world and 1500 B.C. is when they were made. These things are pretty rare. How much do you think they're worth? He says, oh, probably a pretty good little amount. Like I said, I would estimate these to be between one and one point five million dollars. They're rhino horns and they're hideous. And the man smiled rather so calmly and he said, I guess I don't have to depend on Social Security anymore. 
Isn't it funny, though, that something he had all this time, he didn't realize its value. Paul says, look, I don't care what they're saying about you out there, and I don't even care what some people in the church say about you. If you are in Christ, you have everything you need. He has made us alive. Where? In Christ. That's our invitation to you this evening. Look, without Christ, Paul says, your before picture is pretty bleak. You're hopeless. You're helpless. You're lost. You have no hope. But all of that changes, not because you can do enough, not because you can be enough, not because you can achieve enough. It all changes by the grace of God. And by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. If you're willing to trust God and give Him your life in baptism, God will take you in your dead state. And just as Jesus spoke life to Lazarus, and God spoke life to Jesus, He will raise you from the dead and seat you at the right hand of God. Because there is life, in Christ. And if you've done that, listen to this. We are his workmanship and we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Because we're alive. We're alive in Christ. We invite you, if you have a need that we can help you with this evening, to study with you, to pray with you, or to help baptize you into Jesus Christ. We want to do that tonight. And we invite you to come while we stand and sing together. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have alert my sight. I will hasten to Him. Hasten so glad and free, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one, He is the just one, He hath the words of life. I will hasten to Him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to To follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what He saith, do what He willeth. He is the living way. I will hasten to.
Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. Friends may oppose me, Of the Lord's Supper this morning, uh, there will be someone to uh, assist you in the room across the hall. Following that, our last song of tonight will be 971. Nine seven one. Following this, we'll be led in a closing prayer. Restore my spirit, Lord, I need restore. My heart is weary, please help me, dear Lord. I stand in need of more strength from your word. Renew my love, rebuild my faith, oh, restore my soul. Revive the fire, Lord, deep in my soul. Stir my desire to work in your fold. Light in my heart, dear God, your Father, we thank you. We know you are the creator of all things, Lord. We thank you for bringing us here on this beautiful day at this place of worship to learn more about you. Dear Lord, we ask that you will please continue to shower your blessings down on us, Lord. And once again, we thank you for everything you do for us. And we ask that you will let us leave this place, Lord, and be the disciples that we are expected to be, to spread your word. Please forgive us for our sins. In your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank <laughs> you. 
Okay. Uh, thank you very much for coming tonight. Uh, we're really glad you're here. Uh, we have some food prepared in the back, so uh, we're going to be dismissed here in just a second. If you'll go out this door here and follow the hallway to the back to the fellowship hall, you'll be served dinner. Um, thank you very much, and we're going to have one more prayer here for the food. God and Father in heaven, thank you for the blessings that you give to us. Thank you for the means that you provide for us. Thank you for the food that we're about to eat. Father, we pray that you'll bless those that prepared it, and we thank you for the service that they give to us, for providing us food. We pray, Father, that we will remember the blessings that you give to us, that we will be thankful for them, and that we will treat them as something special and not take them for granted. Pray, God, that you'll be with us as we leave this place to be the light of the world as we go back to our schools tomorrow, and that we will do your will, and that we will show that we are alive in Christ. And we will bring others to you so they can be made alive as well. Thank you for Jesus and for his sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Thank you.